Welcome to Work of Fiction, the podcast that analyzes the fictional organizations you see in movies and TV. Today's episode, Leadership, Learning, and Letting Go in Top Gun Maverick. Work of Fiction I'm Paula Sizek, and today I'm joined by our Senior Director of Learning Strategy, Meg Rice. Hey there. As well as Associate Principal Ash Wall. Hello. We are members of Nobel, a global change agency that transforms organizational cultures. But every now and then, we like to take a break from helping real companies change to discuss fictional leaders and organizations. I knew we had to do a podcast on Maverick during the dramatic, emotional reunion of Maverick and Iceman. I'm not a teacher, Ice. I'm a fighter pilot, naval aviator. It's not what I am, it's who I am. How do I teach that? Even if I could teach it, it's not what Rooster wants. It's not what the Navy wants. That's why they canned me the last time. The Navy needs Maverick. The kid needs Maverick. That's why I fought for you. That's why you're still here. Leadership can often feel so personal, right? It's who you are. It's the culmination of all of your experiences. How do you translate that to others? Can you teach leadership? I want to start by saying, what happens when we reframe it from asking, can you teach it, to can you help others learn it? I think that's part of the tension that Maverick faces, this feeling around teaching that I need to impart something on you directly. I need to transfer this information to you rather than asking the question, how can I help you surface the information yourself? How do I bring you to certain realizations about leadership and your own style of leadership? And I think that's a lot of what we see Maverick wrestling with. So I do believe people can learn leadership from others. I guess as a learning designer, it's in my title. I focus a little bit more on the learning rather than the teaching. Yeah, Meg, I think that's spot on. And this movie is also unique in that we met this character 30 years ago, and then we're picking them up again. And so sort of seeing this person who we last saw as a hotshot, really an individual contributor, Mavericks in his name, right? He does everything on his own. One thing I really appreciated about this movie is that it really leaned into the experience of saying this person has not been a linear journey. It's not that someone who's climbed the ranks and done all of it, but it shows that in moments when people are called onto it, we all have capacities to grow and learn in new ways. And what you can do is you can teach leadership. And what this talks about, though, is like doing it in your own way. Situational leadership is important. This would not have been, Maverick would not have been the right leader for certain other missions. What was called on was him in his own way. And I think Iceman, his old friend, knew that. You know, they had very different paths when we last saw them. They're hugging each other on a boat in the middle of the South Pacific. And then all of a sudden we see them here in very different ways, looking at that leadership for that moment in that time. It wasn't about the hottest planes or the newest things. He had changed something about himself and his approach to bring this. The Navy knew that. Iceman knew that and sort of talked about it in that way. 
I think one more thing I want to bring into this conversation, just listening to your response, Ash, is the question of why, not can you teach leadership, but why did Maverick feel like his leadership didn't involve teaching? And I think that part of leadership does ask us to think about how can we translate the experiences we've had and the pitfalls and the successes and the skills we've built up along our journey why doesn't that automatically include an understanding of imparting that knowledge and wisdom onto others? And, and, and why does he struggle with that so much is, is a question I have. And I wonder, is that part of all of us in our leadership? Do some people have more of a bias for the teaching side of leadership versus the being the maverick and, and having the highest level of skill? I don't know how to answer that, but it, it kind of comes in for me as I think about can you teach leadership is why didn't he think he could? Because he's a maverick. Okay, Meg, that's why. It's who he is. It's not what he does. It's just, we see this a lot with many of the leaders we work with who, like Maverick, are themselves often exceptional performers. They've already got incredibly high standards. What adjustments do you need to make mentally, emotionally for this new stage of your career? Or as Iceman says, it's time to let go. Yeah, and I think that's a central question. And one that when we meet Maverick at the beginning of the movie, we realize he has not really grappled with. I mean, he's literally not letting go of things. He's been told he has to come off of this plane and this project, and he's going Mach 10. Now remember, the contract threshold was Mach 10. Not 10.1, not 10.2, Mach 10. That should keep the program alive needs to sort of slow down in some ways, which has never been uh, his approach. And it's, he's spent his whole career just trying to go faster and faster. And there's an irony that needs to stop, go back to where it all started and come back to where he is. There's nothing magical that happens when you're named a leader. It's not like that sort of you are a changed person in that moment. And I think this movie grapples with that in an interesting way. It's like he's been in the same kind of role. He's been a captain for a very long time. And so what he needs is something to change, help him change and recognize those things around you to, to re-grapple with this. And what he ends up doing is leaning into his strengths of being somebody who has seen this before, has been on these missions, and he sort of says, what has helped me get here and how can I impart this onto others as well? And the movie is dripped in nostalgia. I mean, the same thing, it's a lot of almost shot-for-shot shot scenes from previous ones, but there's something about that where Maverick's reflecting back on his own experiences and saying, what got me here and how can I pass it on to others? And it's something you're not going to read. There's, there's no manual about flying a fifth generation fighter that's going to teach you to do that. But it's wisdom passed on from previous generations that's passed on to him. And he's now passing that on to others as well. But again, reflected and refracted into the experiences of these new Top Gun pilots, this new set of leadership. I think that's a great point, right? Asking yourself, how did I get to this point? And having that reflection moment. And I also think that when we ask ourselves the question, how can you transition out of being maybe a rock star on a project and a really great, highly skilled, high performance team member and stepping into leadership, I think part of the transition, and this builds off a little bit of what Iceman says, time to let go. But let's just focus on let go. I think what you need to let go of is that there is not going to be a replica of you, that your goal is not to use that reflection to say, how can I make them into me, but rather what are the structures that help me develop? And then to recognize that giving enough of a structure, people's success is gonna look different than yours, but 
by encouraging other folks to reach, by encouraging other folks to step into that journey of trying to do more, and then leaving space for them to bring their own individual flair to that, I think that's the one way you can do it with a little bit less of a headache. Otherwise, you might be trying to match and fit and and look at success through just one lens, which is what your success looked like, instead of synthesizing out the attributes of that success. You know, is that risk-taking? Is that camaraderie? Is that knowing when to break the rules? Because we know that Maverick loves to do that. Is I think a little bit of just stepping back, not trying to produce replicas, and also to your point, Ash, understanding how did my journey actually work? How did I grow to here? And then how can I help someone else bring themselves into that? It's an interesting thing for someone who has so self-consciously when we got to the first movie and then clearly at the beginning of this movie, he breaks the rules. That's his thing. The Admiral shows up at the beginning and says, we shut this program down. He keeps going. Uh, Mav, Admiral Kane is asking. Ordering. Ordering that we bring her down. He's now in a leadership role where he's kind of making the rules a little bit. How do you grapple with that? Do you set your own rules? What's that like? One of the questions I walked away with the movie is, well, is Maverick really a leader? And I think it really depends on the model of leadership that you're using to define that. On the one hand, a leader can be a change maker, somebody who is going to push the edge all the time. I think one thing about Maverick breaking the rules is that he doesn't do so for himself. Maverick. Kane just pulled up to the gate. It's not too late to stop, buddy. You know what happens to you if you go through with this. I know what happens to everyone else if I don't. He does so for the sake of his team. Like Even when the, I forget what the name of the project, but the project we see him step into in the very beginning of the movie, where he's trying to go Mach 10 on this new plane. I mean, the original goal was Mach 9. And why does he break the rules and ultimately destroy the plane? Because he says, you know, I know what's going to happen to my team if I don't do this. And so he definitely has the lens of leadership there and the way in which I see Maverick breaking rules that's different in this movie than when we first met him and he was a little bit younger. Like when he did the flybys and he was buzzing the airstrips like way too close and that was all just showing off and his own ego. But now we see Maverick breaking the rules in service of others and in service of his team. So that was one thing that stood out to me. Meg, I love how you bring up this point of is Maverick Lee a leader? What is the model of leadership? Because at the very beginning, when Maverick is first briefed on this special project, he automatically assumes he's going to be flying it. There's there's no question. Well, it's been a while since I've flown an F-18, and I'm not sure who I trust to fly the other three, but I'll find a way to make it work. I think you misunderstand, Captain. Sir? We don't want you to fly it. We want you to teach it. Like, oh, of course I'm going to be leading this. I want to bring it. I don't know who I'm going to bring in on my team, but obviously I will be flying this. We go through this transition. He learns he needs to let go. He needs to train the other pilots. So they're ready to step up. But because this movie is called Top Gun Maverick, he does end up being the team leader and flying the mission. When do you, as a leader, need to roll up your sleeves? And when do you let go? And when do you say, okay, I'm passing the torch. My team has this. I'm going to let go. I think it's a great question. Something we talk about at Nobel and we talk about change approaches are these, is it is it safe to fail? As in, is it something that if it doesn't go well, can we build on it? Can we iterate on it anymore? Or is it fail safe? We really need to land this right. So it's an interesting one because this is clearly, at least the way it's framed by the Navy, is this is a fail safe, right? We need to accomplish this mission. This is an existential threat in some way. And so I would say in those situations, I appreciate what Maverick did. He said, this is something that we need to do we need to land and I'm going to look at this and say, what is the best situation 
for us to get this done? What is the combination of resources and things at our disposal? And how do I activate this group of people to get it done? That being said, I think he brought a lot of ego into it. I'm not sure he said it clear headed. So I would say getting additional perspective, Iceman's a good start, but other people bring other things and services useful. The higher you go, often it's harder to get that additional perspective. You get more siloed, get more blinded by things to sort of get in your way of that. Something I did appreciate he did with the group is he gets them into their stretch zone. He says, who are these people here? How can I help them grow even more? So you say, okay, there's this comfort zone you have here. You're all the best of the best. What exactly do you suppose you were teaching, Captain? But as good as they are, sir, they still have something to learn. You were talking about the best fighter pilots on the planet, Captain. And they've been told that their entire career, while they've been dropping bombs from a high altitude with little to no dogfighting. The parameters of this mission call for something they have never encountered. Okay, something you have they... less than three weeks to teach them how to fight as a team and how to strike the target. His tactics for it, of putting people in incredibly dangerous situations, I would not advocate for that. I think using that lens of the risk at hand is a super helpful framing, Ash. And we know in the movie that this is a high stakes mission and that there are a number of variables that make this a quite complex mission on top of that. I think there you do have to ask yourself as a leader, when is it really time for me to step in? Now, I don't think that every leader necessarily needs to be a subject matter expert in the team that they lead. In this case, that's what we have. We have a subject matter expert who has decades of experience doing this. And then you have to ask yourself as a leader, when do I need to step in and have a little bit more of an active hand versus encouraging, enabling, and really pushing other people out front? What I think Maverick did in this movie is he recognized that the risk was just way too high for him not to have a hands-on. And I think other people around him recognize that too. Right? The risk was way too high for him not to be hands-on. And at the same time, the folks that were flying alongside him, they, to your point, Ash, like, they still did push their edge. And they'd never done dogfighting. They had never had this style of high-intensity mission. And so even though he stepped in, it's not like he removed agency and power from others. He just made a little bit more possibility for them to step in alongside him and still be successful. He did turn them into a team. And I think he did some things by getting his hands dirty. He got involved. He showed them how it to be a, a pilot. He got in there, flew the missions with them. And there's something about showing up and doing the work alongside that does make a difference. And I think he did that. That was something that he showed up and did that the group wouldn't have had otherwise. What else do you need to think of as a leader when you're leading a group of particularly high-performing individuals? I'm using the term there, group of high-performing individuals intentionally, because I think when we meet them, they're definitely not a team, right? They're definitely a group, a collection of individuals. So what else do you need to be thinking of when you are managing this type of performer? One thing I'll start with is acknowledge the experience that's on the team. I think you have to honor what's there. It's a really tricky thing from a learning design perspective, right? You have to acknowledge that in a learning situation, just the very premise of coming into learning requires somebody on one side of this equation to acknowledge that they know less. Now, that gets harder when the person who is supposed to be the learner is quite high performing to begin with. What I think we see Maverick do is to show that there is more to learn, that everything you know is great, right? He says like, okay, let's pull out the flight manual. The F-18 NATOMS contains everything they want you to know about your aircraft. I'm assuming you know the book inside and out. Damn right. Yeah, Damn straight. you got it. 
So does your enemy. So it's like, okay, that's not going to help us. What's the next thing? He brings them into the simulations of dogfighting to show them that there's a style and there's an approach to their craft that they haven't yet explored. So opening up a little bit of a new opportunity and acknowledging the vast amount of expertise and skill that they had to even just go right into those exercises. So I think he did a little bit of a blend of, you're all really great, so let's get up in the air and let's do this. And then he, through active learning, helped them trip over the truth that maybe you don't know everything. And I think he did it a little bit ego centric at times saying like, I really know how to do this. I'm really good. And let me like shoot you all down out of the sky in this simulation. But maybe in this kind of environment, that type of competition is exactly what was needed. So I think it's a blend of honoring what's there as well as showing an opportunity in one way or another that there is more to achieve and that there is a higher level of growth to aspire to. Acknowledging what people are bringing with them, I think is so important. I mean, people are unique. They bring their own things with them and there's a lot more below the surface. One of the tools we'll use sometimes is something called a user manual. So people can articulate the things that make them who they are that might not be captured in another environment. And so bring in those experiences before that things that shaped us helps her set that apart and then create that unique situation where we can bond beyond just the project, but on kind of that higher level. Maverick also gives a classic movie leader speech to motivate or possibly aggravate his students. But what the enemy doesn't know is your limits. I intend to find them, test them, push beyond. Today we'll start with what you only think you know. Show me what you're made of. Is this an effective leadership strategy? Or is this something that just looks really inspiring and exciting in movies? What might you try instead if this isn't a good strategy? There are moments in which, yes, being charismatic and coming to the surface, and that shows sort of people need to come together for a certain situation. We have a project kickoff. We need to really come together for an end of quarter experience, something around there. So situational. That said, that can't happen in a vacuum. It's all the micro decisions that lead up to that that are really important. So it's all the ways you behave and show up every single day. I often reflect on and think of the great leadership experiences. If I think back on my own career and then reflect on the leaders that we get to work with, it's rare someone talks about, oh, this town hall speech someone said that set things apart. It was a moment where somebody needed something and the leader showed up for them in the way that they needed. So it could be the technical thing saying there's this moment, there's this way to do things. But very often is that adaptive way, some way in which someone was challenged in a new way and they need that person there to set up the experience of that safe to fail environment. In this experience, what I think Maverick did better is saying we're flying below the hard deck. So we are going to go below the hard deck here. It's safe. We're not actually going to fly into the ground. We have this theoretical hard deck because there'll be moments in this mission in which we need to press the rules a little bit more, helping them along the way. I think it's those moments that behavioral showing things how to do are a little bit easier. But I'm going to hand off to Meg, who I'm sure has an inspiring speech for us in this moment. And I can't wait to hear how she's going to lead us through it. Oh, wow. No pressure. <laughs> I am all for a really great motivational speech. I think, obviously, what we see is this is all playing out in the context of the military, which the assumptions, I've never been in the military, but the assumptions from the outside looking in is command and control, competition, push yourself, and I think you can synthesize out the essence of that, which is how do you inspire a team to push? Is it through getting them to acknowledge their limits, recognizing that they have one? Is it about focusing on 
what you're trying to achieve. A more interesting question to me is what would have changed if Maverick had led through grounding the speech in the outcomes, what we're trying to achieve together? How will we do this as a team? Again, it's it, to Ash's point, right? There's a lot of situational context here that creates it such that he very provocatively goes at this team with, I am going to push you. I think on the one hand, that's great, right? Like name it. <laughs> you have limits. Let's find them. He rooted it in a, a reason why that mattered because he does need to know what their limits are. If he's going to put them into a situation that is, as we've talked about, so risky, he needs to know where their limitations are. And it reminds me of what feels super risky at work. Maybe for an individual, it's stepping out and facilitating a conversation with the client or leading this big kickoff moment for a major initiative that we know is super important for the team or the organization. That could feel just as risky to them maybe in our psychology as lying below the hard deck and trying to take out a rogue state with nuclear weapons. And so in that, how do you encourage somebody to recognize that they have a limit and then give them the speech or the oomph to go confront that limit and say, as a leader, if I know your limits, I'm not going to put you in a situation that you can't handle. My take on it, because I'm not in a very competition-based mindset these days in my life, it's to say, I'm doing this because I care about you, and understanding how we're going to push is going to help us all, and probably a little bit of splash of focusing on why we're trying to do this and what we're trying to achieve and the overall outcome vision of everything. I think it's really important to call out that Top Gun, we're obviously seeing a military organization. We always like to remind leaders that you are not in the military. Most of the leaders that we're talking to on a daily basis, you have volunteers. Obviously, they're getting a paycheck. They might have a contract, but it's a very different situation than the military. They don't have the option of walking away. How does that have to change your approach as a leader when you're dealing with volunteers as opposed to people who are literally in the military? I think there's an ideal maybe naive version of me that would like to say that things shouldn't be so different. Now, I understand in the military, in order for it to operate effectively, we do have to hand down those strategies and remove some decision-making from lower ranks, as it were. But I think when you're in the organization setting and you have all these folks that, Paula, as you describe it, are volunteers in a sense, it's a calculus of asking yourself, what's the cost benefit to this? What's the trade-off if I push too hard? If I impose my own style of leadership too much, will people disengage? Will they leave altogether? Will they start griping in a way that creates a subculture in the organization that starts chipping away or eroding cultural consistency? I think acknowledging also that for somebody who is in the military, again, I haven't had that experience, but I wonder if when you're in it and you're an active member, that it is all-encompassing. This is your life, right? And we are in a place right now where we've talked about work-life balance for years, but now we're very much in a mode of time where work is decentered in many people's lives. And so I have to think that that changes the calculus and the way that you approach encouraging growth edges and pushing folks and the way you lead, because people don't consider this the number one most important thing. For their lives anymore necessarily. Really, I think what you've got to look at is, and we talk about sometimes with our organizational charter at Nobel, is starting with our purpose, the reason why we choose to work together, 
we about strategies, the things we're doing to fulfill that. But then we talk about structures. And the big one is who is there and how are they there and how are they incentivized and what does that look like? This was a group that came together. They're all competing for several spots. There's some teams that are designed that way. So if you're on a sales team, people are trying to reach certain things. But drawing lessons and saying this is a like-for-like like comparison, I think you're doing yourself a disservice and you're doing the team a disservice as well. It's, again, meeting those people where they are and helping pull those lessons together to help support them along that way. We've talked a lot about how Maverick pushes his team to their limits. He wants them to be the best they can. And in a climactic scene at the end, he pushes Rooster, who is, of course, the son of his old wingman, Goose, to just not think, to just fly up there. And in the movie, this is one of those, again, inspirational movie things. He's like, just do it. Come on, kid, you can do it. Don't think. Just do it. And Rooster does it. Does this work in the real world? How do you actually get people to overcome their fears and step up, essentially, to become the best version of themselves? It's reflecting back on individuals and helping them in those moments get into that stretch zone. And I would say that, yes, Pete Maverick did that. And maybe that's the part that gets clipped for the trailer. And, you know, this whole movie is a long time condensed down into a few hours. But I would hope that there were a series of actions along the way that create the environment to help individuals succeed in the way that they need to. These things don't happen miraculously in moments. Movies it often appears that something has happened and some person becomes transformed in that. But in reality, it's this experience and probably best captured by the football scene on the beach when everyone gets together. You know, these montages are there sort of as fill-ins, but it's moments in which we take a break from the work we're actually doing. So often we focus on outcomes and metrics, but it's taking a break from that. It's the walking with someone to get coffee. It's reflecting on their weekend some way in which you create that sense of psychological safety. And then in that moment, it all blossoms to help somebody finish the project they need to present in front of a group, make the call to the client that they were in fear of, and really having that come out in that way. To the point that you're just making, Ash, around psychological safety, I think when you're in a leadership position and you're trying to encourage somebody to go beyond their current edge, a little bit of what I hear in the comments you just shared, how can you build the trust as a leader that when you're looking at that team member who's trying to strive for more and saying, I'm seeing you accurately, I believe that you can do this, even if you're not there 100% yet. And I think you do have to build that trust along the way. So you feel like your leader really does know you. They're not just pushing for the sake of pushing or putting you into the spot because they need somebody in that role, but they've really seen you and they believe in your ability to step into that new activity, that new role. A couple other things that I would add to that is when I've been in those situations myself, one of the things that has helped me the most is when the leader steps into the wingman position. I've been in big presentations with many stakeholders at a variety of different levels of hierarchy within an organization on a complex project. And the person who was my boss at the time, we had worked together along the way. And sure, I was nervous about these bigger moments, but I knew out of the corner of my eye that when certain things would bubble up that I couldn't quite handle or maybe would pull me off of my game too much in that moment, I knew that my leader wingman was there to answer that question step in and not step over me, but to maybe sometimes keep sidebar down or keep tension lower so that I could keep performing. So that's one thing too, is asking yourself as a leader, is there an opportunity for me to be a wingman and not just in words, like you can do it, but to physically really be there and to co-create that or support that moment. The other thing is 
having those small bites along the way, is there a moment of saying, we're going to be here, we're going to try this, we're going to try just a little bit further, and making that journey really clear for the person you're working with and intentional and saying, look, I'm putting you into progressively different situations. How do you feel like this is pushing your craft and pushing your ability? Because this is what I'm trying to do. Are we synced up in how we're developing here? And I think the last thing is using feedback in a way that I think deserves more attention. We talk about feedback many times through the lens of how do I correct? How do I get you back on a more positive path or a more helpful path for the work? Feedback should also be directional in terms of what should you keep doing? A lot of times when you do something well, people are like, you did a really great job. I loved how great you were. That was amazing. And instead, what if you get much more specific and say, I know you've been working on handling tension in meetings more. I saw that when these two folks started to get into a little bit of a argument about the direction we ought to take, that you stepped in, you created space, like name the things so that people know what they should still be going towards. And so I think in all those ways, the confidence that you're building over time leads to competence that will encourage somebody to step into a greater form of their craft or a greater form of leadership. It's really reflective in Rooster's arc during this in that there's something that he's clearly working on. You're trying to fly a different way. There's no plane that's going to do that. It's not the plane. It's the pilot. We have the latest and greatest technology. Putting those loops in place, we can say, we're seeing this. I know you're working on this. Everyone has these. It's the observable behaviors to help people grow on this. This is what you can do to help the thing you do, how you can help to get there. Last question. Nobel has been called in to consult for Top Gun. They're thinking of making some organizational changes. They're thinking about their leadership programs. What's the first thing we would do? What would we recommend? I think I would lean into our bias around how can I encourage you, Top Gun, right, our client in this situation, to have ownership over this. So what is it that you think you need to change? How do you want to grow? When you are the best of the best, it's very easy to think it's always going to be this way, but history is littered with examples and we have many organizations that you can read about in the newspaper the last 10 years who have been the best and something happened and they just didn't have the capacity in place. So thinking about that, I think is great. So we can always innovate and change and grow. We are all about change and about and change in direction and service of something. So what are they trying to do? And if you think about the challenges that the naval pilots are facing, it's different than when we first met Pete Maverick. They're new planes, they're new things, the new geopolitical situations. And I would applaud Iceman on this. I think the people you need are people just like Pete Maverick in those situations. People who have these unique skill sets, they see the world differently, they push up against boundaries. These rebels who show up and have new ways of doing things, bringing them into the tent. So creating some squad that comes together and says, what can we be doing? How can we make sure that in 30 years, we're still the best of the best? What do we need to do to help ourselves get there? Another thing that made me think of is this idea around change is loss. And I think it's a big element of what we see in this movie where we come in and why is Maverick running this new project trying to go to Mach 10? We know in the background there's this desire to automate all these flights and to not have pilots. And so we know that Maverick is in some ways resisting that change. And I think there's a little bit of acceptance planning we could do there? What would it look like if these things change? How do we feel about this change? Because I do wonder, and this is something we can't know because it's beyond the limits of the film, but how might Maverick bring his skills to 
this change that almost in some ways seems inevitable. It is still going to be true that the pilot matters more than the plane, but we do know that the pressures and the signals that are going on is there will be a more automated world. And you could keep breaking the rules to try and prove that the individual is always necessary. But once we get over that hump of how can we let go, which is the theme that's happening here in a number of different ways, and recognizing that what got us here isn't going to get us forward, but that doesn't mean that you're irrelevant. And it doesn't mean that you're not necessary for this next step. And adapting and changing our skills to align with the coming reality, rather than trying to hold on to a past, that it's not going to take us much further. And for all the nostalgia in the movie that we love, I think that if this were a real world situation, we'd have to have a little bit of grief, a little bit of understanding for that nostalgia, and then say, how do we leverage this to go forward? Thank you so much for joining me. I just want to let you all know that you can be my wingman anytime. Thanks for listening to Work of Fiction. Don't forget to subscribe for future updates and leave us a rating if you like what you heard. Find more episodes or get in touch at academy.nobel.io. Work of Fiction